your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 77. And uh, and they wrote, The psalmist shows what fierce combat he had with diffidence and the victory he obtained. I know a lot of big words. I didn't know diffidence. <laughs> I had to go to my old Oxford <laughs> to uh, look that up and came away. It's basically the opposite of confidence, doubt. Um, so the psalmist here is struggling with doubt, lack of confidence, and it says, in the victory that he obtained. The uh, pre-title, or whatever you want to call that, um, says, To the chief musician, to Jehudith, a psalm of Asaph. Um, so the chief, chief musician, obviously this was a psalm that was uh, set to music, as most of them were. Um, Jehudith is an interesting word, whether that's a person um, or a reference to the type of psalm that's going on, because the, the word Jehudith means a, a laudation. We don't use the word laud very often, except for in the context of applaud, uh, right? It's the extending of the hands, reaching out, um, and giving some form of acclamation or praise. And so the root word there of laudation has the idea of extending your hands out in worship, okay? And then a psalm of Asaph. A lot of the psalms in the book of Psalms are written by David, and sometimes we just kind of expect that. Asaph was the name of one of his chief singers. He had taken his group of Levites, um, and he divided them into different categories, and some of the leaders there were Asaph and uh, Herman and some other fellows. And so this is one that was written by one of David's um, chief singers. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go in. But I'm just going to read... So try to stay focused. Sometimes when preachers read uh, more than a verse or two, it's easy to check out. Um, but this is the word of the Lord. It's worth paying attention to. Psalm 77. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night, and cease not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes walking, waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in his anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. 
I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doeth wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, and they were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in heaven. The lightning lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Your psalmist starts off really low. He is discouraged, he's depressed, he's cast down, he is sore troubled. What did he do? You should listen to these action verbs. I cried. I sought. I remembered. I complained. I was so troubled I became silent. He cried unto God with his voice, and God heard him. But he didn't immediately feel better. God heard him, and yet he was still low. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. That's good. Do that. Cry unto the Lord. Seek the Lord. But if you don't immediately feel better, don't stop. Don't feel like, well, he hasn't heard me. He said here, I cried unto the Lord. He gave ear unto me. To give ear means to, I'm hearing you. But the trouble that the psalmist had did not immediately disappear. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. That sounds like some kind of physical ailment. A sore, you know, I've had a, a pus-filled wound that's just weeping. I mean, that's, that's gross. That's distressing. He cried in the Lord, and the pus didn't immediately stop flowing. It continued on. My soul refused to be comforted. There was something there that was so distressing and ongoing that he continued to be in that low state. He continued to be discouraged. He continued to be troubled. I remembered God. I cried to Him. I sought Him. I remembered Him. These are good things. Do them. 
and was troubled. His troubles continue. Y'all, you've lived very long. You will have trouble. And many times they will continue longer than you will prefer. Sometimes, like the Psalms, you're going to complain. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Sometimes we say things that aren't true. God won't put more on you than you can handle. <laughs> That's a nice platitude, but it's empty. God won't put more on you than he can handle. You'll frequently be overwhelmed. You'll frequently be troubled. Just as I don't feel very good physically up here today, in my weakness, who do I have to recognize my dependence on? The Lord. In your weakness, who do you have to see and acknowledge and recognize your dependence on? The Lord. He can use our hard times to break our hard hearts, to lower our pride, and we think, I've got it, I've got it figured out. <laughs> I complained. Sometimes we can complain pretty bitterly to the Lord. There's seeking, there's remembering, there's crying out, and then there's complaining. This one I do not advise. Complaining has the idea that you're telling God that he's done something wrong. Right? Lord, you really should have handled this differently. That's a pretty bold thing to say to the God of the universe who made everything and everything in it including you. I don't advise complaining but I recognize that sometimes we do. This is something that we need to check ourselves when our prayers become just bitter complaints. That's a time to Lord forgive me for complaining. Lord it's not my place to tell you how to fix things. Ask for your help? Absolutely. Give me wisdom and counsel? Absolutely. Lord, make me submissive to your will? Absolutely. But to bitterly complain because the Lord has not handled something the way that we would prefer it, that ain't right. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Guess what? You won't feel better when you complain to God that one is not going to improve things. Whoever's felt better after a pity party? <sighs> no, you just kind of waller in the mud for a time, and eventually you got to do something else. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Selah. A lot of argument, what does that mean? The way I read these, I read that that's a time to pause. He has said something, and you need to chew on it. This is a state that I'm in. Is this a happy state? No. This is a state that I've, most of us have experienced, where you're in the night, and things just seem to get worse and worse and worse, and you're crying out to God, and you're seeking out to God, and you're remembering Him, and yet they're not getting better. It's a dark spot. We don't like that spot. And yet, who still heard our cry? The Lord. Though he hasn't answered in the way that we prefer, he still heard. Thou 
holdest mine eyes waking. Y'all ever had trouble sleeping? It's like your eyes are being held awake. I can't even rest. I can't even escape from my troubles into the abyss of sleep. Lord, why are you taking that from me? At least let me go hide myself on my pillow and not have to think about it. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. We have to get pretty troubled generally before we get to that point. That complaining part goes for a long time before we get so down that we can't even speak. This is a low, low, low state. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit will make diligent search. Here you're thinking about things from long ago. The days of old, the years of ancient time. Now, he could be talking about ancient times literally. Creation and the great things God has done. Or it could be that ancient time when things were good. I'm in this deep pit and it seems eternally far away from back when things were good. I call to remembrance my song of the night. There used to be a time when my nights were not spent laying awake in bitterness as my sores are oozing and I'm so frustrated that I can't sleep. Or there used to be a song where I was praising the Lord. Sometimes, y'all ever go to bed happy? <laughs> happy in the Lord where it's been another day where He's blessed you and you can see it and you can lay your head down and rest of just with a gratitude and grateful heart. Having a song in the night so that you're praising Him is the last thing you do as you lay down your head. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made a diligent search. He's probably looking, where's that song? I'm communing with my own heart. I'm, I'm doing that internal thing. You know, when you get in the mully grubs and you're really deep and you're like, where you tend to focus? Going inward. And then he starts asking questions. There's a series of them. One, two, three, four, five, six. They're really all the same question. And they're worded differently. And at some point in our life, we've all asked them, even if we've never used these exact words. Will the Lord cast off forever? Things are so bad, God must have cast me off. Is He ever going to draw me back again? Is He ever going to show favor upon me again? I feel so far apart and removed and so put upon. Are things ever going to get better? Will he be favorable no more? I try to teach my children not to use expressions of never and always. Those terms of absolute, at least not talking about God, but talking about our behavior. Well, he's never good to me. He's always such and such. No, he's not. You know that's never true. <laughs> right? That there's always a range and a variability amongst our behavior that's not always bad. Right, David, you paying attention? Are you always paying attention? No, but sometimes, so pay attention now. Okay? 
Will he be favorable no more? Is it cut off? Will I never see the favor of God again? That's a low state. Is his mercy clean, gone forever? Now the fact that you're able to even ask that question shows that his mercy isn't clean, gone. He's still sustaining you. You have not been just obliterated or wiped off. Doth his promise fail forevermore? I mean, all these questions are the same question, and it's a reflection of how the psalmist and you and I can feel at times. God has promised never to leave or forsake you. True? True. Can God lie? No. Can God change? Therefore, he will never leave you or forsake you. That includes not casting you off. That means not taking away his mercies forever. But on our end, it may feel like it. In some ways, we're not too bright. We're not. <laughs> and we see in a very narrow window. Generally, it's just a few moments in front of our nose. And we have real short-term memory for what we've seen. But even the window that we've seen of our whole life is infinitely small in comparison to the whole bandwidth of God throughout all eternity past, all eternity future that he can see all at one time. His perspective, his ways, the ways that he accomplishes things, his thoughts and how he orders them, they're so much higher. You know, if I could jump, I might could somehow, if I had enough practice, reach that hook. Right today? No, I couldn't. <laughs> but no matter how high I jump, will I ever reach up and touch the moon? No. Right? This may be the range that you and I can get our thoughts a little bit higher. But there's no way I can come close to the moon, or the sun, or Neptune, or even the former planet of Pluto. Right? Can't get there. That's how much higher. My thoughts? Yeah. Maybe I can get there. But I'm not going to make it to the moon. That's how much higher his thoughts are than our thoughts. And so in our perspective, as we're trying to see, we're trying to understand, we just, we're reacting to what we feel. We feel forsaken. We feel cast off. We feel that his mercy um, is clean gone. But it's not. And so we're asking these questions. Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? That's an interesting question. Can God forget anything? No. Much less can He change the loving kindness that He's put upon each of His children. Can that ever be forgotten? Scripture would say that you know, a mother can forget her nursing child. But God the Father will never, ever forget His children. Right? Right, David? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. All right. Let's do some background. We know a great deal about David. Asaph is probably writing this during David's reign. It's when he was put in the job. It may be during Solomon's reign. But let's just assume that it's written during David's reign. David had a lot that went on to him personally. And he made some bad decisions, as we talked about with Bathsheba that had 
a lot of consequences for his family personally, but it also had a lot of consequences for his nation, for his people. It wasn't just hard times in the household of David, but there were a lot of hard times in the kingdom. Absalom, in response to his brother raping his sister, waited two years and murdered his brother. And then he was banished for a time, and then King David brought him back, and he commenced a campaign to convince everyone that he really would be a good guy and a good king to where that folks believed him. They bought into it. And from that, there was an uprising. A civil war happened in the kingdom. The civil war is ever good for the citizens of the country. No, you're going to have a division of sides. You're going to have battle. You're going to have brother fighting against brother. And that's exactly what happened. And he was pretty near close to succeeding. But for the Lord defeating some good counsel, if he had gone after David when David had to flee the capital city, I mean, that's, that's a pretty successful coup for you to march into the city and the king have to flee. And then the Lord you know, basically withheld Absalom from going and capturing him that night, waiting until he had a full army, which gave David time to gather an army. And there was a battle where brother was fighting against brother. Absalom wound up being slain and the coup defeated. But as they're coming back, there's another political faction that happens with a guy named Sheba who wanted to say, what do we have to do with David? And he tried to go and take um, and create a second division. He wound up being executed. But you've got all this turmoil, all this strife from the king's poor decisions that are affecting other people. Now, whether Asaph is, referring, uh, Asaph is referring to his individual trouble or the troubles as a nation or his individual troubles that are compounded by the troubles of the nation, I don't know. But sometimes it's the things going around us and then a combination of things going on inside of us. Um, there was also other troubles uh, later when uh, there was three years of famine. What? King David, king after God's own heart, there was famine? There were hard times even when he was king? Yeah, that was a relation to Saul's mistakes. Remember there had been a truce between Joseph, uh, not Joseph, Joshua and the Gibeonites. They were tricked them. They pretended to be messengers from afar. And they got a treaty, right? The treaty said, you won't kill us. Well, Joshua upheld that treaty because he's saying we have to abide by our word. Hundreds of years later, King Saul attacks those people. And from that, in David's reign, there's going to be three years of famine that occur um, as punishment for Saul breaking the word of the Israelites of old. Okay, How does that impact all the inhabitants in David's kingdom? You're going through a famine. You're hungry. It's a time of trouble. It's a time of hardship. You know, we, we don't know what famines are. We know years of bad crops, years where hurricanes come through and make things inconvenient, years where the prices at the grocery store go up. Y'all ever gone to the grocery store and there are no groceries? I mean, we, we ran out of toilet paper during COVID, but that was... That was an inconvenience, not a, there is no food. We've never lived through that. 
But back then, you didn't have a supply chain where you can draw from the countries of the world, and if you got the most money, you buy the goods and you get the stuff. You had a supply chain of, what can we grow here? You know, maybe 100 miles that way, 100 miles that way. That's your range. So if it's not raining and there's a drought, there's a problem. Babies are crying and, and folks are dying. Right? That's a hard time. Any of y'all ever seen somebody dying of hunger on the sidewalk? Oh, we're exceptionally blessed. So much so that, in a way, we can't really even understand these psalms as they are originally written because we got it so good. We have to kind of take it down to our bubble-wrapped problems. Right? Not the real lethal ones, but the ones that bother us. And I'm not saying they're not real problems, but they tend to be not life and death, but they're the inconveniences that bother us. Right? How about when David numbered the people? He got in his head, he wanted to know how many soldiers does he have, and so he sends out his general. Joab was not a good guy. And yet, he tries to say, boss, king, this is not a good idea. However many it is, let it be more, but why do you delight in this thing? David said, no, you want, I want a head count. And so he went out and counted them, and so what can a king do when he's got a head count of his army? Look how strong I am. Look how powerful I am. Look what I've got to control and the might that I've got. And this is, I mean, he was a warring king. They went out and they fought. But who was the real leader of all their armies? God, right? That's what made David noble when he fought against Goliath, not because he had a great arm with a sling, but because he was standing up in the name of God. God's going to deliver you into my hand. And yet, you know, at the end of his reign, he's forgotten that, and he's put himself, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar does, right? Where, look what great empire I've made for my name. And the Lord humbled him. Well, the Lord wound up sending a plague on the nation. Now, he gave David a choice where they wanted to fall under the hand of his enemies or have three months of trouble or three days of plague. And he said, well, it's better to fall in the hands of the Lord or have three days of plague. They had counted up his soldiers. He had 1.3 million. With that plague, the Lord wiped out 5% of them in three days. 70,000 men. I think there's like 40,000 people in Tiff County. Right? That's a whole lot of people. Three days. Right? It wasn't sunshine and roses to live in King David's kingdom. Right? King David was a type for a good king. We'll live in a kingdom where that doesn't happen. Where there is no sorrow and sin and pain and loss and no foolishness of a king that bleeds over onto everybody else. There were hard times to be a citizen of Israel in that day. Again, I don't know exactly what Asaph is referring to, but I thought it's, it's useful to know for someone living back then, what are some of the things they had to experience beyond just the individual problems? Because individuals, we got individual problems, right? But then you have the collective things that compounded and weigh it down. So bring it over to verse 10. I said, this is my infirmity. Well, that's an interesting acknowledgement. I've got, he's got this problem, this sickness, right? There's a sore that's 
oozing. He says, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm not ignoring the fact that I have this problem. But I'm still going to remember the might and the mighty deeds that the Lord has done. Okay? <clears throat> That's what it means with the right hand of the Lord. The right hand is a symbol for the strength. Right? When the Lord sends out His right hand, it's showing off. He's doing the powerful things. Right? So when He brought them out of Egypt, which is what He's going to refer to, He's showing the right hand of the Lord. When Jesus appears and took away our sin, that was being the right hand of the Lord. And where does He sit down on high after that? Right. On the right hand of the Lord. Right? He's the embodiment, the image of the invisible God. He is the right hand of the Lord. So this is, the infirmity. This is my infirmity. I have this trouble. They're real. But I'm still going to remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. What is the Lord not doing during King David's reign? Miracles and wonders and amazing things that had happened way back in Egypt. Right? You had a giant kill with a stone. You had a lot of individual deliverances for King David that his life was spared. But you think about the history of what's going on with Israel... It's not the over-the-top miracles that they had once seen back when they were coming out of Egypt, right? I mean, there are, there are some, some things, but they're more veiled, more subtle. It's not this overt display that it once was. And so he's going to go back and remember those overt displays of how strong is my God? What has he done? I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also on all thy works, and I will talk of thy doings. I will remember, I will remember, I will meditate, and I will talk. Thy wonders of old, thy works, all thy work, and of thy doings. Not focusing on self, this is my infirmity. Yes, it's there. It exists. But that's not where I live. That's not where I'm just consumed by it. When I need encouragement, when I'm in that deep, dark hole, it's not dwelling in the hole. It's looking to who's in charge. Let me remember his works. Those big, overt works. At this time, the psalmist, all he could go back to was Egypt. And that's great. That's wonderful. You have something far better. That's the incarnation of the God who came down, took on flesh as a man. The God-man, Jesus Christ, came and lived and died and was resurrected. That's the work of old. That's very much relevant today, relevant to you and to me. Asaph, no matter how much he thought about Egypt, he was not being brought out of Egypt by thinking about it. Right? When you're thinking about what Jesus Christ has done, that's very relevant to you because he has brought you out. You were in that bondage and He has brought you out. He has given you new life. That's true and that's real. I will remember the works of the Lord. Where do we need to direct our heart to? Remembering the works of the Lord. All thy works. Meditate on all thy works and thy wonders of old. Go back. Look at Him. Look at how He's revealed Himself. Be reminded anew about the magnitude of His power. The scope of his love and how his right arm is not short. Right? There's nothing that he can't reach. And I will talk of thy doings. What do you mean? I'm not going to talk about my infirmity? 
that's not the focus. My mind and my heart and my mouth are focused on something far better. The Lord and thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great as our God? Well, this is, we don't go to an old temple anymore. The tabernacle has been done away with. That type and shadow is at an end. But when we come to a holy place, the Lord place set aside to worship him. This is his way. This is where we come. And we're reminded about who is so great a God as our God. There's a lot of little g gods out there. Whether they're in religions or whether they're in the anti-religions. The little g God of wealth. The little g God of power. Long life. There's a lot of medical dollars spent on if you could just get this elixir to eternal youth. They've been chasing that fountain of youth for hundreds of, probably since Adam, right? I mean, how often do you see the articles? This one's going to stop aging. <laughs> nope. Aging's a byproduct of sin. And you can't stop sin. You're going to die. Shouldn't surprise people. But they don't like to talk about it. But no matter what they're out there, they're putting their hope and their faith in. It's a little G God. And our God is great. Not great. Great. Who is so great a God as our God? And the answer is none. How do you know that? Well, you've been meditating on his works and on his doings and you've been thinking about it and you've been talking about it and you've been around people who like to hear that and you're in the sanctuary. Where do you need to go when you're discouraged? Come to church. Amen. Talk about the doings of the Lord. Remind yourself about who's in charge and how great he is. Is there any God so great as our God? No! And you need to remember that. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Did he declare himself to the Israelites boldly when he brought them out of Egypt? Absolutely. Was there anybody who was walking on that camping trip who didn't know what the Lord was capable of? They knew. No, they forget sometimes. They reminded, yes. But they'd seen with their own eyes. A God that doest wonders, not these little G gods out there that promise wonders and never fulfill. He doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. He didn't have to have someone go up and say, The Lord is very strong. I'm declaring it to you. No, the Lord declared it himself among the people, among them at large, not just a few over here. If you were in the secret tent and you kind of heard the right way and you got the magic passwords to get inside the group of the secret knowledge, then you'll have it declared. It was among the people. Friend and foe. Anybody in Egypt who'd gone through that, who didn't know who the God of Israel was, they knew. That was part of what he said. I'm doing this so they know who I am. You know what's going to happen at the end of the world? Everyone's going to know who he is. Right? Every, be, every knee is going to bow and have to acknowledge this is the God. There is no other. His son is Jesus Christ and he rules and reigns. Amen. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. He's reminding himself of what happened 
the sons of Jacob and Joseph, those that came into Egypt as a slave and rose to prominence, and those who came in as victors and fell to be slaves. Right? They all end up slaves. Regardless of where they were on that spectrum, whether you were in the chosen, favored status, or whether you were just a house guest, all of them did he bring forth. Did he lose any of his children as he brought them out? Any left behind? Any didn't miss the bus? Any said, sorry, we're full. Nobody. He redeemed them all with what? His might. His right hand. Thine arm. Right? Your right arm? How's that for a great picture for Jesus Christ? He came and who did the redeeming? He did the redeeming. Who did it? His arm. Who's his right arm? Jesus Christ, his right arm. The strength and he redeemed all his people. Didn't lose a single one. Regardless of where they are on the spectrum of rich or poor or right, white or black or wherever, Jew or Gentile, there's no difference among the family of God and he didn't lose a single one. Selah, chew on that. You're in your dark pit, look to the Lord. I've cried unto him and I've complained to him and I've been focused on self to him. Focus on him. Focus on His wonders and His works and who He is and what He's done in the grand scheme beyond my little life and remember how big He is and what He's done and what He's redeemed me from and what He's redeemed you from. The waters saw thee, O God, and uh, the waters saw thee and they were afraid. That's kind of cool. I don't know why, but that just tickles me. Y'all ever been around some big moving water? That's nervousome. Right? You ever seen a car float away? Or a house float away? Moving water, that's not to be trifled with. It's stronger than you and I are. But our God who doeth wonders, it sees God coming and it's afraid. What happened to that old sea? It had to move out of the way. If you gave men a hundred years to try and plan that feat, I don't think they could replicate it. And at best, the waters would be begrudging, not afraid. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw that they were afraid, and the depths also were troubled. Not just the, the shallow waters, the depths, the deep sea. People try to minimize the crossing the Red Sea. Well, maybe they walked across this little sart mulch, and it's about this deep, and you know, kind of... No. The water stood up as a wall on either side. They crossed a deep sea as on dry land. Could that have been done by any other God? No. It was part of him showing how powerful he was, that he was doing something that no one else could do. He took the hard road, if you will, to show how much stronger he was. The clouds poured out water, the skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in heaven. The lightning lightened the earth, and the earth trembled and shook. So before they got to the sea, back when they were in the midst of the plagues, there was a terrible storm. Terrible storm. You had rain, you had thunder, you had lightning, you had hail mixed with fire running across the ground, and it was so bad that people were terrified from the sound, much less everything else. Right, Y'all ever been in a thunderstorm where you had that one big boom and the house shakes? Yeah. 
What doesn't keep happening? That keep doesn't keep going. It's like there's that one kind of big ball of boom. And then everything else kind of feels, okay, we're, we're going to be all right. But what if that kept happening over and over and over and over and over for hour after hour after hour until you're about to go insane and you're terrified? That's what they did. Because the Lord was making a point. That the water is afraid of him, the water reports him. We know that when the Lord was on the sea and his disciples were so afraid, he just had to sit up. And tell that water to stop. Peace be still. And you know what it did? It was still. He can create great calm and he can create great noise and chaos and terror and fear because it reports to him. Is he the God who's over all creation? Yes! Thy clouds poured out water. You can imagine, we've had some frog stranglers, but imagine a deluge that just, the fat drops don't stop. The sky sent out the sound. Thine arrows went abroad. You've got lightning just everywhere, even running across the ground. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightning lightened the world. So pitch black outside, and those lightnings just... Shoo. You're seeing way too much. Sometimes having that light at night, scary. The earth trembled and shook. Not just trembled, but trembled and shook. Are you kind of questioning the strength of the structure around you? Is this going to fall down on my head because things are shaking so badly just from the sound of this storm? And yet he was the author of it. He was proving a point. Pharaoh had to ask, let the thunder stop. Thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters. He took them the hard way. He didn't say, we're going to go the easiest route. All right, what's point A to B? Like, dads, how do we plan? How do I get there? What's the most fuel-efficient way? How's the cheapest, shortest, easiest, right? We don't choose, all right, we're going to plow straight through the Okefenokee Swamp, <laughs> take a left at Florida, go through Spain, and then we're going to make it to California, right? He chose the hard way. His way is in the sea, because who's the sea to report to? Him! His path is in the great waters, not the itty-bitty waters, not the shallow waters. He's got the road that can go through the hardest, most difficult thing. And what path did Christ have to walk? Through the hardest and most difficult thing. He had to endure the entire wrath of God for your sins, and He came through it, and He brought us through. Thy footsteps are not known. You can't understand it. You can't predict it. You can't put God in a box and say, well, this is the path that God's going to do. Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He used men as he was telling them, but he was the one leading them like a flock, like a bunch of sheep. You had to, you had to go, but he was the one leading them. He's the God that doeth great, mighty, wonderful works. And I've forgotten that. In my complaint, and crying, and seeking, and thinking about my infirmities and my little things that overwhelm me, it's like drowning in a puddle. He's not going to let you drown in the ocean of your sin 
he's certainly not going to let you drown in the parking lot in a little bit of a gravelly puddle. It may be unpleasant, <laughs> but he's got you. He's got me. And this is always true.